A presidential panel on cybersecurity is giving advice to President-elect Donald Trump, and a commission member speaks out. And ATM fraud is growing globally. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's episode with last week's issuance of a 100-page report by President Obama's Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity. Obama last February, if you recall, tapped a dozen prominent IT and IT security executives and policymakers to study and then make detailed recommendations on how to strengthen cybersecurity in the public and private sectors while protecting privacy, ensuring public safety, and fostering economic development. The report contains 16 recommendations and 53 associated action items to secure and grow the digital economy. But the commission did not designate any of the recommendations over the others. What we concluded was really that there was no one silver bullet. That's commission member Herb Lin. He's a senior research scholar for cyber policy and security at Stanford University. To say that X is more important than Y, and I think we would say that all of those things are, are, are really important. I know that's an unsatisfying answer, but the fact of the matter is that the cybersecurity is a multi-threaded, multi-causal kind of an environment in which many, many factors play. One of the Commission's primary concerns is not coming up with new technologies, but ways to get people to use the tools to enhance cybersecurity. Better cybersecurity technology by itself is not particularly helpful if nobody uses it. So how do you give people incentives to use it? So that brings in economics and policy and all those other sorts of things. Normally you would say, no, that doesn't matter. If you're thinking about cybersecurity, it's a technical thing. No, it's not just a technical thing, and I think that's the crux of it. And to get businesses to adopt best cybersecurity practices, the Commission favors the use of incentives over regulations. We on, on the Commission had a preference for incentives rather than regulation. One important point is that we don't rule out regulations as an important force, but we think that incentives have the primary go-to goal for now. That's what we should try first. And if the incentives don't work, then maybe you can consider regulation. One recommendation that caught my attention calls on the incoming Trump administration to launch a national public-private initiative to achieve major security and privacy improvements by increasing the use of strong authentication to improve identity management. Here, according to Lynn, is why the commission feels this is critical. Providing cybersecurity needs to be pushed away from the user. To be perfectly honest, if you look at all the advice that's given about how to avoid phishing and so on, don't click on this link and don't open up this file and so on and go, don't go to this website, okay? All of those things are basically different ways of saying, don't use your computer. Well, yeah, if I don't use my computer, I'll be safer. That's not a good solution. Lynn says the solution to allow individuals to use their computers is for a public-private partnership to identify ways to improve authentication through strong identity management. And to encourage that, the Commission recommends the new administration require all citizen-facing Internet-based federal government services to use strong authentication. ATM skimming is a growing source of fraud that shows no sign of abating in the United States. Skimming involves criminals surreptitiously installing devices in ATMs and card readers that capture data from the magnetic stripe on bank cards inserted into the machines. The criminals often use the captured data to create fraudulent credit and debit cards. To discuss the latest developments in skimming and other types of ATM fraud, I'm joined by Bank Info Security Executive Editor, Tracy Kitten. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Eric. Why is skimming a growing problem? It's relatively easy. It's easy for fraudsters to wage these types of attacks, and the potential for income or payout is pretty significant. 
Skimming is a problem outside the United States too, but it's not as big as in the U.S. That's because of widespread use of EMV chip cards outside the U.S. Still, ATM fraud is a problem worldwide. How so? The lingering mag stripe on EMV cards, regardless of where these cards are in the world, is a big part of the problem. As long as a chip card retains a mag stripe that contains cardholder data, that data can be skimmed. But beyond skimming, we're seeing more of these so-called logical or malware attacks that are being waged against ATMs, particularly in Europe. Malware attacks are increasingly prevalent and easier to wage since so many ATMs throughout the world are still running on Windows XP. This platform is no longer supported, therefore it's no longer getting patched. So hackers can easily exploit vulnerabilities by first attacking the bank's overall network and then tunneling their way to the ATM, where they can then remotely instruct the ATM to dispense cash with or without a card. We call this jackpotting. It's similar to a cash-out scheme in that fraudsters typically have more than one ATM that they instruct to spit out cash at one time. Shirley Insko is a senior analyst at the consultancy IT group, and here she discusses why jackpotting is so attractive. In order to reduce operating costs of servicing those machines and replenishing that cash, more and more banks are going to go to larger bills in the machines. It makes the ATMs more attractive to theft. Certainly, if you think about a jackpotting scheme where you're dispensing 50s instead of 10s and 20s, that becomes a very attractive scheme. Why haven't we seen more ATM malware fraud in the U.S.? Criminals in the U.S. seem to be profiting quite well from skimming, and so they just haven't really focused on malware fraud yet. And Insta says she's convinced that at some point, American criminals or attackers will attack ATMs in America and exploit them with ATM malware for profit. ATM fraud doesn't just involve illicitly withdrawing cash. Right. More criminals employ explosives, for instance, to gain entry into ATMs. In fact, some criminals even steal the machine, remove it from its location, take it to another site to remove the cash. Here's Insco. Because it is a low risk of getting caught and a very high potential reward in the amount of money they might gain, we are really seeing an uptick in this to the extent that some large banks are now putting the ability to tell if that machine moves at all to send off an alarm so that they are aware that that machine may be in the process of getting stolen. Are U.S. banks prepared for an increase in ATM malware fraud? Eric, some are and some are not. The biggest banking institutions are prepared because they're preparing based on what they see taking place in other markets throughout the world. Smaller banks and credit unions, however, are likely to be caught off guard because they just don't see this as being a threat or one that they need to worry about right now. Thanks, Tracy. You're welcome, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk reports on the latest developments of the malware Mirai that's causing woes worldwide. Malware tends not to get worse. It's constantly improving, and that's the case with Mirai, which targets Internet of Things devices such as routers, digital video recorders, and IP cameras. Germany's Deutsche Telekom was the first to report fresh problems with Mirai. The malware knocked 900,000 of its customers offline. Then a few days later, TalkTalk in the UK saw about 100,000 of its customers hit with Mirai. Also in the UK, broadband provider Post Office experienced the same problem. Mirai was blamed for massive DDoS attacks in September and October against computer security journalist Brian Krebs, the French hosting provider OVH, and the network services provider Dyn. 
The original version of Mirai was coded with the default authentication credentials of IoT devices. The passwords are often rarely changed or can't be changed at all. The source code for Mirai was released in late September, which has since allowed other people to tinker with it. Then in early November, a security researcher found software vulnerabilities in a specific kind of router distributed by the Irish ISP IRE. It turns out those vulnerabilities are also present in a variety of routers concentrated in Europe and South America. The researcher published proof-of-concept exploit code in early November, which was quickly wrapped into Mirai. It didn't take long for problems to emerge. Todd Beardsley, senior security researcher for Rapid7, says the development showed a remarkable adaptation of Mirai. While we have been warning about um, you know, crummy routers and, and switches at home for years and years, I wasn't super expecting to see the Mirai botnet like become this IoT attack platform. The source code has been released, and we've all had a chance to look at it, and it turns out it's it's pretty decent as a platform for like subbing in new attacks for old ones. Luckily, the flaws in the routers were easily fixed by the ISPs themselves, but that may not be the case next time. Ronnie Takazowski, a senior malware analyst with Flashpoint, says that in many cases, ISPs are dependent on the router's manufacturer to fix deep code problems. But it's sometimes unclear who is responsible for the software errors, as router manufacturers often share common bits of code. If it's the manufacturers who's doing that, and that's, this is currently the way it is, if they're the ones responsible for patching the systems, then the ISPs purchase it from the vendors, the vendors have to patch the stuff. So it's trying to figure out who's completely responsible responsible for that. The IoT industry has been under much pressure since Mirai first appeared. It may need to take heed of the lessons from the rampant security problems on desktop computers that started in the early 2000s. After its operating system and applications came under repeated assault, Microsoft launched its trustworthy computing program, which focused on better defenses and faster patching. If IoT devices continue to represent an internet-wide threat, regulators could get involved, which has been discussed in the U.S. That probably wouldn't make the technology industry very happy. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Thank you.